So this is On the Sofa with Rouge. And on the sofa with me today is my very, very dear friend, Helen Wade. Helen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you live in London. Yes, and um, it's, it's, it's lovely to have you here. We've been talking for a long time about how we were going to do this and when you were coming over. And you're ha you happen to be here at the moment, so it's really wonderful um, that you can join me. We're not quite on the sofa, just because it's more comfortable sitting around a table. So um, the first thing I want to ask you is about your childhood here in Gibraltar. What memories do you have of that? And I suppose you carry that with you in, in wherever you go, no? Yes, yes. I have wonderful memories of my childhood. Um, I grew up, as I imagine you did, during a closed frontier um, era. Yeah. So my memories are of a very safe, very sort of quite a small uh, community, very safe. I remember wherever we went, you know, you knew the people around you mm. um, and just a wonderful childhood with, you know, treats like, you know, I was at the tennis club with Dita teaching me to play tennis as a little child. I was always at the tennis club. My, my, my parents lived quite close practically next door um and also um i used to go to the garrison library every saturday with my aunt and uncle my aunt Miss, mr and mrs connor who are now deceased but they were my godparents and yes i remember mrs connor she was a teacher at school she was, she was a lovely awful, lady yeah so um my my cousin david who was also deceased they're their only son he yes. was a lot older than me so yes i was that the little girl and, and that was their, mm. their god, <clears throat> goddaughter so i used to um, go to the Garrison Library and um, they would always choose my books and then we'd have a lovely sort of lunch stroke tea mm. and they'd serve tea on the little lovely little terrace. And so you had a, a really wonderful, nice, happy, happy really memories. Nice. And then lovely summers. I remember, yes. you know, we, we spent all summers on the beach at Sandy Bay, which is like our beach. Mm. So we're from Sandy Bay. And, and there's photos of me as a child and my mum says, you're not even two years old here clambering up the little steps before both worlds was even built amazing in the late gosh late mid late mid late 60s <clears> just <throat> before just before it was mm. built and you can see me climbing up the little steps that go onto the sand and there's nothing there there's like a grassy bank just and the, there's a really the sweet little photo of me with my sort of toddler. Yes. I can see I was wearing an appy I think or maybe the bottom of a bikini and there's me clambering up the stairs and looking back thinking yeah. Am I allowed to do this? I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and my mom said, you showed a really intrepid streak from when you were a toddler. Always very curious about everything. Very, very curious. Very loquacious. Asking questions all the time. Always. Yeah. So you've always been very inquisitive. Yeah. And that's books, probably books. why you, you have yeah. the perfect job for your character then. Yes, of course. And music played a huge part ah, in my no, life. I, I was wanted to talk to you older, as in the about that. And all yes. that. But I started playing the guitar when I was eight uh, yeah. with Mr. Gomez, William Gomez. You were all quite musical. Your brother and yes, your sister too. Yes, my brother too. was violinist. And that's right. Sorry, my sister learned piano mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. she left it because she couldn't stand the teacher because all he did was talk or something. So, <laughs> so she left. It. Oh, so boring. He's just going on and on. How funny. So I know. I know. And I play piano too as well. Um, which I've learned later on. Um, but uh, very musical. I loved playing the classical guitar. I loved going to my lessons. And who encouraged you, your mum or your dad? On what side? Because your mother's a very colourful character mm, as well. I remember my late father loved music. He loved listening. Maybe that's why I chose yeah. the, the classical guitar as my first instrument. Yes. And um, nobody pushed me. It was just, you know, I chose what I wanted to, to, to study and learn. And I think I remember hearing him watching lots of guitar concerts on TV and listening mm. to guitar music. Maybe that was an influence. Inspired a sort you. Of, a sort of, mm. um, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but the, the, the reality is I, I went to, to do my lessons, my, my, my lessons with Mr. Gomez and also at school. And then I used to, I was selected when I was slightly older to be part of the Gibraltar Guitar Ensemble. And I loved going to that. I think that was on a Saturday we used to rehearse. So you were a performer from a, quite a young age. Yes, yes. Yeah, that yes. puts you I in good stead. I was in my first play when I was three, one of my mother's yeah. plays, because my mum, as you know, did, yeah, did yeah, a yeah. lot of amateur theatre here. So you had someone to take after. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very much. Would you say? I'm very much more my mum's personality, I think, than my late father, because he was much more sort of serious, yes. much more very sort of thoughtful man, a great thinker, mm. very much more. In some ways, he was a bit Victorian, very sort of respectful, mm. very sort of manners. He wouldn't allow us to come to the table in the morning unless we were fully dressed. You couldn't just turn wow. up and roll up in your pyjamas. And, you know, we were allowed on Christmas Day when we got new nights and, and dresses. Of so quite, quite so strict, quite, yes. yes. Yes, and I was always like a book in my hand. Mm. I was like, yes, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. 
please close the book, have your food. And then, you know, so just little things like that I remember. Yeah. But he was also the most wonderful, um, really wonderful man. He was, he was just, just very thoughtful. He's the most selfless man I, mm. I've ever met, other than my husband, David, actually, who's actually very, very selfless and unselfish himself. He always thought of other people. Um, yeah. He was also, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this, but he was also a Freemason in, in the lodge. And I know they used to do a lot of charity work, but he never used to talk about it. It was always very discreetly done, helped the community, helped wherever it was needed. Mm. Um, there were some very prominent then, people in there. And, and he wouldn't talk to me. I was, of course, asking, where'd you go? Why do you wear this special? Where do you wear this black tie with this blue sash? Why do you, where'd you go? What do you do there? What do you do? Can I come? Can I come? Yeah. Um, and, and then sadly, he, he passed away he quite did. young, which was yes, tragic, he passed away really. A year after he retired. Really he retired sad. and became unwell very quickly. And then he was in London at the Royal Milestone. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yes. And um, he passed away um, at 66. Dear, very young. just before his 67th birthday. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Where did you study, Helen? South I can't Hampton remember. Southampton. Oh, Southampton. Yeah, and I what read did, what English. Was, right. And, uh, I wondered. I wondered if you English and journalism. Ah. Yeah. So one of the few. The reason I chose Southampton is because I. It was one of the few degrees in the country which was like a joint degree. So we had two full-time degrees. My terms were always six weeks longer than everybody else's terms, and we had to get get this extra special grant from the government from your scholarship mm. to cover those extra six weeks every term because you were effectively doing two degrees. Um, um, and it was one of the first in the country. It had only been going for about five years. But that's what I was really... I knew from about the age of eight or nine that I wanted to be a journalist. I knew yeah. it. You know, some people know what they want to be. And some people... Are, my, my younger sister, she she never knew. Even when she went to uni, I don't know what I'm going to do. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? You know, and in the end, she, she went into business and studied business and languages. And she was very successful at what she did. But, but she was always unsure. But I knew absolutely from the age of eight. Um, I turned up once unexpectedly and uninvited to interview the governor one day with my notebook and pad. I was only eight. As a, oh, you yeah. were only eight? I only eight. I went to the library and I thought, oh, I'll just poodle along to the governor. I think I've got a few questions I could ask him. And, and did he receive one, you? Did police... he receive you well? No, I didn't get to him, sadly. <laughs> I would have done so now, one, but not Good not for then. you for trying. Because the policeman at the gate, I was on my own. Oh, I think I enlisted the help of my friend Susan from school. I was having a little bag, my note bag. And the policeman on duty recognised me. He knew my father. And he rang and said, I've got your daughter here. She yeah. said, she wants to speak to the company. Can you come and pick her up, please? Dear, that's so, typical. Somebody always knows your or mother nine. or your father. You I'm, can't get away with anything here. Gibraltar, you can't. Which is lovely not. in many ways, but yeah. uh, less lovely if you're trying to do something sneaky. And when you're supposed to be at the library. <laughs> picking books with your friend and then you're going up to do interview the governor yes, without what, any notice and what did your father say I'm sure your father thought it was pretty cool that you'd done something like that so he young. thought it was quite hilarious of course so then you finish your degree you finish in yeah. Southampton yeah. and you come back to Jib or do you yeah. go off because in those days um Yes, you, you had, had to work. To come back. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, so that was before the. Yeah, you were allowed no to straight, let off. No kind strings of, attached yeah, yeah, scholarships yeah. as you have nowadays, and you had to get the points as well, the thirteen mm. points, you know. So um, yeah. I came back, but anyway, I came back and I thought, oh well, you know, you had to do for what I wanted to do, and I'd already researched this and what have you, in order to work for a network, mm. for a national newspaper, national radio station, national television, which is what I was working, hoping to work in, uh, and which I did, was you had to do three years of regional television news or radio news or print so I needed to do three years of essentially the reason they have had that was because they needed you to cut your teeth in front of the camera with the microphone knew all the technicalities make all your mistakes in local or regional television and then and then you could approach a yes. network and they knew that you already had some experience uh, yeah. and they could just get you onto the job straight away so that's what happened and as soon as the three years was up I went off to Sky News. So I started off in January 92. <laughs> and the foreign editor, a chap called Nick Jennings at the time, he said, uh, I've heard you speak, speak a few languages there, do you? I said, yeah, yeah, Spanish fluently, yeah, bilingual and French. Yeah. Um, oh, do you fancy going to Madrid? I said, why not? Oh, because it was at the time that Sky was trying to have a hub, mm. sort of a, a correspondent in every major European capital. They were really investing, and that's what Murdoch had in mind to, to yeah. have that. Um, they had Washington, they had <clears> Moscow, <throat> and they had Jerusalem, but they wanted to expand to every European capital. And they thought Madrid, and you know why? Because Madrid was having the Olympics in 92 and the Expo in 92. So they thought Madrid that's would right. be a good place. And that's, that's exactly right. where I landed there in January 92. 
So I said, what yeah, I'll fun. go. I'll go. I'll go. And he said, oh, we can't. I said, are you going to pay me full salary? He said, well, we can only pay you a retainer. So you may have to get some freelance work or something. I said, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you went for the experience. Of I course mean... I did. I was there for two years. I had bombs. I had ETA. I had elections, general elections. I had El Gal. I had Charles and Diana came to the expense of Ville. I had to cover that. So, um, and at the time, actually, and it was the, the government of Felipe Gonzalez was, was in power at the time. And it was really difficult to get anybody that you need, anybody that you need to interview in government, for example. Nobody spoke English. So I had to interview them in Spanish, do all the translations, wow. send the the, 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 via, the voiceover with my track and my, and my pictures and stuff. And then they packaged it up and revoiced it with a male voice if it was a male. And invariably, in those days, it was a male minister. And they got a male voice from the newsroom to just read out what I'd translated. Mm. And, um, and so what, that's what was the went. highlight of your, of your two years in Madrid? There were so many. There were some great stories. I mean, for example, uh, when Charles and Diana came to the expo, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It was just such a happy gig. The expo had just opened. It was a, such a jolly, mm. you know, it was great. The pictures were happy. It was very colourful. Um, and then there were some really good stories, like in 19... No, that was a bit later, actually. I left in... I went back to London in 94, middle of 90, April 94. Um, but um, there were some really good stories, Um Bombs, you know, ETA bombs. Oh, my goodness, the bomb's gone off around the corner. <laughs> Stuff like that. General elections, 93, the general elections. I did a lot of reporting in the general elections. Then. And did you meet a lot of a lot of interesting people while oh, you yes. were there? Yes. I mean, yes. connected with your work and, oh, and, yes, and yes. otherwise. So um, uh, in Madrid at the time, you had the, um, they called it, a rather <clears throat> snotty sounding, El Círculo de Corresponsales Extranjeros, um, which so all the foreign correspondents who were there, they were yeah. mostly newspapers, mm. Germans, Italians, and French, you know, mostly newspapers. Um, and it was then there that I met my very good friend to this day, Adela Gooch, who you may have met when I'm here in Gibraltar when she's visited. And she was the correspondent uh, for The Independent at that time. She was working out of the offices in El Mundo. They had a, they're owned by the same company, I think, and she had a desk mm. there. So she was the only other female British correspondent in Madrid at the time. And there was also Jane Walker from The Guardian, but she did it more like a freelance part-time thing. Um, but the only full-time people were, were us yeah. two. So we ganged yeah. up together. <clears throat> she was also a bit like me. Her mum is Spanish, her father's English. She was born in London. She lives in Hampstead, still does. Her father's English, her mother's Spanish from Granada. So we had this kind of bilingual yeah. duality going on, dual heritage or whatever you call it. And, and, and we just got on like a house on fire. Mm. Um, and of course, we sort of teamed up together because all the other correspondents in the circulo, we used to run events and they used to have guest speakers and there's a bit snooty and boring crap. Is old, old grey-haired men in suits who, who were there. Mm. And, you know, um, I remember, this is something quite interesting. Um, it was run by an Italian correspondent called Giosto Maffeo. And I always used to giggle with Adele and say, el pobre, mafeo, el pobre, because he really was. But anyway, he's been on TV and stuff, but when I just a mafeo. And in the application form, where you had to, you know, apply to become a member, and you know, of course, and Adele says, yeah, 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 join this thing. It's really good fun. They have lots of events. When I didn't know anybody when I landed in Madrid. She mm. was about the first person I met. Um, and um, so I filled up the form. And then I get this phone call back at the office saying, oh, um, we've just received your application. Oh, marvellous. Yes, Sky News, da-da-da. Um, we noticed you, you, you've written that you were born in Gibraltar. I'm like, yes, I was, and? Oh, well, would you mind awfully just saying that you're swapping Gibraltar for London because you work for a, for a British television channel? And I said, but I wasn't born in London. I was born in Gibraltar. Oh, because we think if you write Gibraltar on the form, some of the Spanish correspondents oh. might be upset. And what? I said, really? Well, well, if you're that sensitive, I don't want to belong to your organisation. Thank you. Bye. And I put the phone down. Yeah. I was so yeah. affronted by that. Yeah. Did you did you encounter other situations oh, like yes. that? Because oh, yes. when you said that you were from Gibraltar, really? Oh, yes, yes. You know, and you'd get people. I mean, I also got a, a part-time job um, that uh, at the Rothschild um, Merchant Banking Group, um, there was this is from London. I secured it in London because I knew I wasn't going to be paid a full time wage. I had yes. to pay for my flat. I had expenses. Yes. I only yeah. had a small retainer, and they'd pay me per story. So I had to have something else like my bread and butter money. 
uh, and I just went to an agency in London. I said, I need a job that will that's in Madrid for bilingual people. So they found me a job with Rothschild Merchant Bank, Rothschilds, and, and they said they needed somebody with journalism or press or writing experience to do their weekly uh, news reports. They used to send a news report to all the global officers uh, writing up about the mergers and acquisitions industry in that country. Gosh. So the main head office would have all these people in all these satellite <clears throat> offices writing a news report, basically so they could find out what mergers and acquisitions opportunities there were. Um, at the time all in this the country, same time. that country. Yeah, so yeah. every week I'd, I'd be scanning <clears throat> all the financial press in Spain, um, you know, and, and <clears throat> clipping things, and I'd put together my report, and that was sent off to So that was my job, and that gave me a de- very decent salary because they paid quite well. An amazing experience at a, at a young age to, yeah. to do that job. the youngest job. correspondent in Sky News, 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. The youngest correspondent. Yeah, so you learned a lot from that. A lot. Of course. I was self-op as well. Of course. So, you know, I had to I had to get my cam- behind the camera and I used to use high camera from um Agencia Efe, TV. And and Helen, a woman in a in a in a predominantly mm. male environment. Oh my goodness. Not, you wouldn't believe Because it still is to this day. You wouldn't yes. believe. You know, and some and some of the worst ones were the British, the old, you know, the telegraph correspondent, you know, the Guardian. I'm not gonna name them, so not to shame them really. I think he's still alive anyway. And they were like, you know, every time there was something going on with the press, and we'd all be somewhere together, like Moncloa or something. And they would always be like, oh, let's go to lunch, everybody, and let's go and have drinks or coffee or whatever. And he was like, oh, well, you know, you've got such white, glistening teeth. You must look amazing on Sky News because I watch you all the time. And I'm like, oh, stop how, being a creep. How creepy. You know? What a creep. And Della and I, she was sitting next to me looking at each other going, oh, who the hell does he think he is? You know? um, uh, See, but that, I'm like sure that, that kind of thing happened quite a lot. Claro, claro. And then the FT correspondent at the time was also mm. a bit leery and a bit sort of like, are you sure you understand what's going on with the markets in Spain as a result of the economy? said, I think I do very well, thank you. I actually work in a merchant bank. I think I know how the market works. Thank you very much for your yeah. very kind offer of advice, you know. Mm. So, so you had to put up with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And all, uh, also <clears> at these <throat> events that we got asked to as members of the press, if there's a book launch or something like that, you know, there was got... Press. They'd invite the whole mm. of the international press, um, and, and mostly along. male. Do you reckon? Claro. Yeah, mostly male. There was very, mm. very little female mm. representation. So we were seen as a bit of a rarity. Yeah, really. Yeah. There's no other. I can't think of Anything. a single other woman that I encountered with us. You know, out on on. Well, at on, least on you the, had some backup. On the correspondence. At least you had your back. So we used to get asked to these things, and a lot of them were quite fun. Quite yeah, yeah. Lovely parties at the yeah, Ritz sure, Hotel I'm in sure, the garden. Really nice. Loads of cocktails. Yeah. I mean, the social life in Madrid was wild. I loved every yeah. minute of it. Loved it. But we were the only two women there, and the only people who, who dared to come and talk to us. This is the other interesting thing. I got to understand a bit of how Spanish men. Uh, view people who are like professional high-flying women. This is, I'm talking early 90s. They were probably intimidated. High-flying. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, you guessed it. Yeah. And nobody would talk to us. No. La And you know, the only people who chatted to us were the waiters. <laughs> they used to come to us. Would you like another diet cake, miss? Yes, I'll have another one, please. Would you like these little uh, tapita de jamón? Yeah, I'll have that. Thank you very much. And they used to come and chat to us. Yeah. They said, mm. I will see you later. You know, it's, it's incredible. So I, I well, realised then how intimidating. Yeah. Men won. I thought, yeah, well, how daft. You know, I'm doing the same job as you are. Why are you intimidated by me? Mad. So then after your stint in Madrid, yeah, you come back. back to London. And, and you carry reason, on working for Sky or do you? Yeah, yes. I was still working for Sky, yeah. So the reason I asked specifically to go back, and it was in April, so it wasn't the natural end of term because they said stay for two or three years, however long you like. But in April 94, my father was already ill at the Marston. And my brother and sister were at university in Kingston. And I wanted to be back in London to support my mum and see yeah. my father. Yeah. So I said, can I just get myself back to London, please? I just need to go. And, and I've done the stories. I've mm. done the elections. I've done 20 ETA bombings. I've done this. I've done that. Uh, you know. Um, yes, so, you came back to London. So, um, actually, Rothschilds were brilliant with me. Rothschilds. And the boss at the time was a chap called Jorge del Glo, who's really, really nice. Fantastic boss. And um, he said, don't worry. We'll yeah. get all your stuff packed from your flat. We'll transport it back. Um, I did a couple of weeks work for them in the London M and A office, but then I, I, I left and went to the to, to Sky full, you know, full time. And they put me on the Sunrise program. Ugh. 
which is a las cinco de la mañana. Claro, pero you, you, I started work at 11 o'clock at night. Claro. I was there oh. all night on sí. shift preparing stories, doing this, doing that, doing that, packaging, voicing, cutting videos, you know, LVOs and stuff like that, writing scripts, draft, you know, claro. all sorts of things. And then the program went on air at, at six five. Yeah. or five, I think it was five, six. And then you didn't finish because you had the, the debrief after the program till midday. So you were long. there 13 hours. It was and so draining. How long Not did you do that for? Horroroso. I, I did mean, it from, I went back in April and I then was there till November. Wow. And then the um, deputy foreign editor who, who I used to deal with on the desk when I was a correspondent in Madrid, a lady called Helen Malloy, um, her husband, Nigel Baker, was the head of foreign at ITN. And when APTV, as it was then, no, APTN, Associated Press Television News, was opening up a big newsroom in London, the agency like Reuters and WTN in the old mm. days, in the end they bought up WTN, but APTN was looking to put together a television journalism team to start the television news agency, and they needed people with experience who could just hit the ground running. And for the Europe desk, they needed people who were reporters With languages. With languages. And claro. this lady, Helen claro. Loy, said to her husband, I've got this girl who's just come back from Madrid and she's really good and she's so experienced. Yeah. Mm. She can just hit the ground running. She speaks, I don't know how many languages. Get her to come and see you. So mm. she said, look, write to this. Here's a form. Apply. They're just starting up in London. They started in November 94. Just go and see them. So I got an interview the next day, went to see them. They said, right, can you start on Monday? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> And that was... So that was daytime. That wasn't nighttime. So I'm like, so, oh. So I was there better, at APTV for three yeah. years, just over three years. Um, I mean, I was I was always wending my way towards the BBC, which that's is what, what you, I always so that was, wanted to do. That was my your dream. Um, no? Always, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah, but I guess... But I needed to get the yeah, right yeah, yeah. experience. I already had two years as a correspondent, two and a half years as a cor correspondent. Then I needed to have more international experience. So when I was at APTM, because I spoke French as well, um, I used to get to cover a lot of the Francophone countries. So that tranche in Africa where they speak French, I mean, they'd send me out to be the bureau editor, uh, the TV editor... Um, you know, the head of the TV bureau. I was based in Nairobi and I would be sent out to stories and all that. Frank oh, what was that charge. like? That quite was scary? Enough, was it quite, quite scary? Well, I, I, yeah, they had to they had to employ a 24-hour bodyguard for me because I couldn't step out. It mm. was quite dangerous. Mm. So he had to be with me always. Mm. And I couldn't wear any jewellery or anything. I had to be very modestly dressed. Yeah. Because a lot of the Muslim the Muslim population yeah. is so um, But, I had to be very modestly dressed. I couldn't carry any jewelry. Any so that earrings. was just an assignment for a few. No, no, no. I was there for six months. Why really, oh, yeah. Helen? Yeah, for living six at the months. Norfolk Hotel in Nairobi. Which Gosh. is lovely. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Nairobi. <laughs> I've never been. You've never been. I'd But love have you to watched go. a film called Out of Africa? Yes, of course. Well, I stayed at the Norfolk Hotel, and as it so happens, my best friend from university, one of my best, very best friends, there's three, three girls, three of us. Um, Catherine O'Brien, her father was the Irish consul and they lived in Nairobi. At the and, same time as... Yeah, they've, they've lived there for years. In fact, I think they're still there. Oh, actually, her, her dad's just died recently and, and her mum's still there, but um, they've, they've grown up there. Um, so they were there when you were there? school in England. And they were there. That's and, nice. And my friend said, my friend Helen is stuck there all on her own, just sitting on her own every day at the Norfolk Hotel after finishing work, because um, I didn't know anybody. You couldn't do, yes. Uh, and it was my birthday, and it was in August, obviously my birthday, and... and um, Mrs. O'Brien Gay, she, she turned up to the hotel with a lovely gift and an invitation to a birthday dinner at the Muthaiga Club, which is the place in out of Africa, the club, the very exclusive mm. club that they were members of, where Karen Blixen, played by Meryl Streep, is refused a drink at the bar. I don't know if you remember I that. I don't remember. They, they were all I've men. Watched it, but... And she went in, ordered a drink, and they all went, <gasps> tumbleweed moment, because no women were allowed. This, I'm talking about the early 19, the time of the First World War. No women were allowed in, and she went in, ordered a drink, and that was the place. And I went to see it. It was incredible. So it's a lovely place, and I've never forgotten their kindness. How nice. Me. Yeah. So that was yeah. quite quite special. Yeah, it was and very I, special. I, I mean, there were there, there, there were some places that when I was there, also the, the the civil war in Sierra Leone broke out, but that was too dangerous. So my cameraman, so they could only they only sent the men in, and my mm. editor said in London, uh, uh, you're coming back. 
because it was deemed far too dangerous for me to go with what, Alistair what, and my cameraman. What is, what is, I mean, how far do you go as a journalist when there is a, a something going on that's like, you know, pretty really dangerous, po- politically oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or just oh, dangerous? War zones, yeah, war yeah, zones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, 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 how Been far, there, done that. How yeah, far yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you risk? I mean, does, does, do you go right in? I mean, I suppose. Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't put myself in front of a gun, but sometimes a gun is pointed at you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And what but, is, uh, and you've been in a war zone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so when I was in there in Africa, it was the the fall of President uh, President Mobutu in Zaire. In Mobutu? Yeah, Mobutu, the guy with the funny hat. Yeah, President Mobutu in Zaire. And uh, and there's a huge, great big sort of civil civil sort of unrest thousands and thousands and thousands of refugees heading up trying to get to to the nearby camps in Goma mm. and stuff like that so I covered all of that um, well, how did that feel and, and, and being put in that situation well the thing is you're doing you're a job, doing a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly you're, yeah, you're doing a yeah, job yeah. with impartial eyes you're obviously keeping yourself safe and also I was responsible for my team so mm. I was responsible for my camera team and mm. the other who were filming and doing stuff. With, you know, and I, I guess y- y- you were young. Very and young. I think youth really plays a part and, and takes away that Correct. fear. Yeah. You see, now I, I, would, I would think of doing something like that and I wouldn't put myself through it. The risks think, that I've yeah, taken yeah, yeah. with my job, really? like covering riots in Northern Ireland, really? you know, stuff like that on the 12th of July, things like yeah. that. You wouldn't do it now. Northern Ireland, so how did um, you get into the Beeb? So um, when I was at AP... Um, I saw that they, uh, in the Guardian, the media pages on a Monday, they were looking for um, broadcast journalists for BBC World, and they were looking for people in languages. So I applied. I got the form. I applied. I got an interview, which was a board, really. They have a board. It was quite a short board for the interview. They have bigger boards for internal promotions. Um, I had to be very... You have a, a test, a news test, with like 40 questions or something. And oh. then you have the interview. There was about three or four of them in the room firing questions at you for about an hour. And, and your dream to... And ha- I got in. You got in. Yeah. Yes, yeah. well so I spent done. three years at BBC World. And then when they started News 24, as it was then, it's now re-morphed mm. into the news channel. They renamed it, really. They rebranded it. Same thing. It's now called the news channel. Hello, I'm Helen Wade of singemedia.co.uk, a boutique media consultancy. Singe Media runs workshops, training days that are tailored to every client's needs. You can have a half-day or a full-day workshop. The most popular workshops I get booked for are interview skills and public speaking skills. I do them in English and Spanish as well. For all your communications or media training needs, contact singemedia.co.uk online or find me Helen Wade journalist and media consultant on all social media networks your yeah. your dream came true yeah Did yeah it? absolutely absolutely I mean going into work and being in the left <clears> with Kate <throat> Ady on the left and John Simpson on the right that was quite the moment Amazing. I remember as a child watching oh them on gosh. the news yeah incredible go on, go on. I know I know yeah, and working. And what was what some of the some of your highlights? I mean, how long were you at the BBC for altogether? I was there for three years on contract when I first joined Worlds. They'd give you a call to continuing contract for a year, and then I was made permanent three years after that. I was there fourteen years. Wow! What, so yeah. can you tell us some of your. I mean, well, one of the highlights. You know the Madrid bombings, mm. which happened the Madrid. The big Madrid bombings, yeah, when did this on May or something like that, March mm-hmm. it was. Um, it was just before a Spanish election, um, and it was Al Qaeda. Um, so you had the, the Madrid ones and the London ones, and, um, and I remember going to work. I was on an early shift, and I was uh, presenting that day, and I had my jacket in my head, and blah, blah, blah. and you always had to go to work with your passport. Because you oh. could be sent, oh, yeah, 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 in your well, bag. You could be sent yeah, anywhere yeah, at any time? Absolutely. And that okay. day, I was. I was I was at Just the BBC at 6.30 for the early shift, a.m. Sin ropa ni nada. Sin ropa, no, nada. Oh, just no. with what you're wearing and off just you go. Just with what you're wearing, your oh, bag, really? your passport, get some knickers at the airport and <sighs> wear clothes and, and change go. your clothes. And that's what you do. And that's what I did because the bomb went off just before 7 a.m., I'd and they wanted you to go to 6.30, I was there doing the news, and yeah. I could see the editor waving at me like, 
you know, so as soon as we went to the to the top of the hour, tail, ding, 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 he pulled me out of the thing and said, you need to go to Madrid, you need to go to Madrid. Look, we're getting the wire saying that there's an explosion on the trains yeah. outside Atoche, and I knew Madrid very well by then, and mm. they knew that. So off you went. So I, they, they, there's a taxi at the door, jump in. To the horror clothes. of your family and Jib, Helen? Were they horrified, your family and Jib, when you well, were... The thing is, a lot of the time I didn't tell my parents where I was going until I was back safely, okay. especially my mum. Like when I was in all those African hell holes, and I won't go into a lot of detail, <laughs> yeah. but I've seen a lot of horror and been in very dangerous situations, very dangerous situations. Um, and I never told my parents where I was going. Yeah. So I would only tell them once. I mean, I've been to this place. It was, a, you know... Um, I think I would have done the same. Exactly, because I know, yeah, you know, my, my, my mom and my dad died in 93 when I was a correspondent in Madrid, so he didn't see the later horrible stuff. But uh, my mom especially, La Pobre, you know, I, I couldn't say to her, I'm going mm. off to some hell hole <laughs> in Africa and there's a war there and I'm, I'm going to be there mm. to witness it, you know, and to, to tell the story. So, yes, I'd, I'd tell them after I, go, after I came back. So I'd do that. Helen, what do you think makes a good story? It's got to have certain elements. It's got to have... Um, something that is interesting. So there's there's the stories which are public interest stories. For example, corruption in politics, uh, a scandal that's been exposed. For example, the Matt Hancock oh, God. video the, during yes. during lockdown, yes. snogging his his mistress the, or whatever all in the, text the office. The WhatsApp messages. Yeah, now. they've just come out. Yeah. yeah, something like that is a public interest story. Mm. Somebody who's been paid by the taxpayer is not doing the job and is and is breaking laws as he was then mm. breaking uh, you know these emergency laws that they that they put in place during the pandemic where you couldn't have uh, uh, meet more than what uh, more than two people could meet indoors and there's all sorts of you know the lockdown regulation so he broke those clearly that's a public interest story it was splashed all over the papers all over the news etc um and then you get these stories, as you like, the happy, colourful stories, you know, royal weddings. I've yeah. been to a few yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. I covered a few of the royal weddings. Yeah. I went to Charles and Camilla. I covered Charles and Camilla's wedding. Um, and I also covered um, in Spain. I went, I was sent back to cover the Infanta Elena's wedding. And then I also um, was Prez friend. I wasn't in Barcelona, but I was Prez friend. So I was on the news desk um, doing the live commentary for the Infanta Cristina's wedding to Indraki Iñaki Dangarin. Sorry, what a mouthful. Um, so I, I, I so royal weddings are the perfect colour story where everybody's happy, there's yeah. lots of visuals are very good. But what makes a story really good is something that you can get your hands into. There's some meat to the story and some legs to the story. So it's a story that has to be meaty. It's got to be a story that people go, oh, what? Mm. Yeah, it's got to be that kind of story. And impact, you know, impact. And it's got to be newsworthy mm. without sounding trite. It's got to be newsworthy. Otherwise, why is it a story? Why is this a story? Why is this important? What's happened? Where? Why? How? When? What does this mean? Some analysis, some background, mm. you know. In between yeah. all this rushing around, you marry and you have yes, two lovely yes. boys. Of course, I do, yes. And I met David at the BBC, my husband. Oh, did you? Yes, because he was the BBC's resident space. He used to come Spa in to I talk know he's space. A you told yes, I he's a rocket scientist and I he used know. to talk, uh, come me. in and mm. be the press friend, which is when you have a presenter and you have somebody on the desk and you're asking the expert questions. So he used to come in for all the live rocket launches <laughs> and talk about the rocket because he used to design rockets and uh, satellites to go, or go on the rockets, communication satellites uh, in industry. And then um, he used to lecture in aerospace engineering at Kingston University. And, and oh. they used to be, he used to be called all the time, every time there was a big space story. Like we met when the Mir space station caught fire and there was a British astronaut on board called Dr. Michael Fole, British-American astronaut, was on the the Mir space station Russian uh, capsule and it caught fire and they thought that everybody's going to die and it's a big story it's really big story led the bulletins all the time why because there was a British astronaut on board yeah and he was on there all he was in the newsroom all the time going on to the studio I, I met him had to interview him I was I was I think I was outputting the bulletin that day and I had to you know <laughs> and then what happened our first meeting was not the most auspicious I'll tell you why because I'd gone in for a night shift I was on a night shift this is I've been at the BBC about three months two months and I went in and the editor said oh um and you're late so you get the space story and I'm like oh god you know I was late for a minute or two with the tube or something so I got the space story and I'm like, oh god he said, yeah and there's a guest coming in a date you've got to go and pick him up reception I'm like really 
Because normally the researchers pick up the guests from, from mm. reception. Normally, you, 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 mm-hmm. you're too busy being a reporter, yeah? So, <laughs> I was like, me yeah. me. And the newsroom back then was on the seventh floor of Television Center. So I had to grudgingly, muerta de sueño, because I'd just started a night shift. When you, you know, you're sleeping during the day, you never sleep properly, you go back into the night shift, you, know, you have three or four in a go, and then you've got four days off. So I went to the lift, I gave it, give it I've got to mug up on this space story in the lift, in the time it takes the, the lift to go seven floors up to the bottom floor. Y me esperaba un viejo de esto, you know, with all the sort of wiry hair, sort of lines, water mad, mad scientist. Y llego, and I remember it was a Thursday because Top of the Pops was on, and he had all these screaming people. He used to go to see the live show at Television Center in Studio One where Top of the Pops was, you know, and the Spice Girls were walking around the corridor and people were shouting and screaming, una locura. And I got to reception and I thought, oh my God, where's this guest? ¿Quién es? Who is he? Who's the guest? I just said, David. is there anyone here to talk about space? <laughs> I've been hundreds of people queuing in to go to television center, people coming in. Is there anyone here to talk about space? <laughs> yes, I am. And I turn around. Oh. Y me veo David todo traje guapísimo. Y digo yo, suited and booted. Mira, my husband told this story at our wedding and as part of his speech. Mira, everybody we tell it to, they just kill themselves it. laughing. Saying, We're in the la risa. very funny. Because he said she was so grumpy. <laughs> Is anybody here to talk about space, you know? Y de pronto, well, look, it was meant to be. Mira. Fateful moment, Helen. Claro. And just from going up the seven floors, you're <laughs> and instead of taking the lift, I took him the seven floors up the stairs. Oh, el pobre. Up to the studio, which the studio we were operating on was just one floor below the newsroom uh, on the sixth floor. So he had to go six floors up. E, and oh, then we dear. were chatting all the way. So you got on you got on well with See, him because there. I and then it was my brother and sister you studied <laughs> at Kingston. Oh, really? Oh, it's a long time since I've been to Kingston. Yeah, because I lived in central London. Oh, it's a long time since I've been to Kingston. Yes, Grieta. But bueno. And after the interview, after his interview, he had to go and explain about the model of Mia. The, the BBC props department had made uh, a sort of cardboard and, cardboard and sticky tape model of the Mia space station stuck together with sticky tape at the back that the viewers wouldn't see, all painted at the front. And the presenter was standing and David had to stand next to the model and explain where the fire had started, why it had started, what the escape hatch or locasea was. E, and I was in the gallery, you know, e, and I remember the presenter, and I was saying to her on, on talk by saying, gosh, this guy's quite dockable, isn't he? He's quite nice. Isn't he lovely? She said, yeah, he's quite dockable, isn't he? She's hablando conmigo on talk back, you know. She, I could hear her. I spoke to her. Yeah. She could speak to me, but David couldn't hear what and she ha- was and how did you get it? And how did you get a date? Well, after the interview, I had to show him out, of course. Six floors down again. Six floors down. Six floors down. Claro. And I said, would you like a cup of tea, a BBC tea in the canteen? He said, no, thanks. I'm terribly sorry. I've got to rush home and pack my bag because I'm off to Turin tomorrow to a conference. Okay, then. Okay. I was all dejected there, I think. Mm. Yeah, but then every so often I kept seeing him coming into the newsroom and there's always something else total the long and the short of it I won't go to the newsroom but I ended up having to call him to book him to come on to space and we got chatting and apparently David says I kept saying oh, it's a long time since I've been to Kingston and <laughs> one day he said well you must come over sometime next time you're in Kingston give me a call and we'll, we'll go out to dinner yo, is he asking me out yo, me fíjate que donde yo. I thought is he asking me out and David said, well, you could say you hadn't been to Kingston for a long time. I thought, well, you, I better ask you. So you, you went to Kingston so on your dates. We had oh, a, we went shop, I had to do a bit of shopping, you know, in the Bentall Centre and stuff. Uh, the rest of the day's history. We've been married 23 years in April. Amazing. Helen, what is the what is the the best thing that's happened? I mean, the most exciting thing for you in all this? Uh, winning a BAFTA with my team. Amazing. Reporting on the Madrid bombings, the 10 o'clock news. Amazing. Yeah. That is a huge achievement. Yeah. yeah. The BAFTA wasn't mine personally. No, but you were part of a team. The BBC well, News at 10. Yes. And Which I were was, you part of the claro, team? I was the well first one there you. to lead the team. Well done, you. Y llegaron, you know, Hugh Edwards y todo. They were mm. a massive team. I was also um, producing and, and having interviews. Yo estaba 
arreglando todo. The interviews for the for the news channel, que estaba the uh, News 24, it was then. All the guests, the presenter, and then the BBC News at 10, which is like the main 10 o'clock news, and it deals mostly with foreign stories at the top and all that. Y claro, it's a huge story, and you know, it, it was it was really, really, and the team, I was very proud, because I'm not, so, I'm, I mean, I wasn't the leader of the 10 o'clock team, because I didn't work specifically on that program, mm. but I was the first one sent mm. out to Savi, the Were you there at the award ceremony? Unfortunately not, because I was on no. shift. Pero, pero I was so cross, I was so cross. Mira, I was on shift that night, no, reading the news. You missed that moment. Reading the news on shift, y yo... Can I swap with somebody? I want to go to the BAFTAs. ¿Quién te cree que fue a los BAFTAs? Hugh Edwards, the presenter, y todos los jefes fueron. None of them who were in Madrid covering the story, ¿vale? Ay, que ver. And all men. Hugh Edwards, who and was there. Blokes. Only Hugh Edwards, who was there. The presenter went to the, to the to table, because the, the BBC mm. had a table at the BAFTAs. Y estaban todos los jefes, including mi jefe, all there, claro. todo poniéndose la florecita claro. que the BBC had won the... Wearing the badge. Yeah, so that was quite the highlight. Mm. Yeah, meeting Princess Diana was quite a big highlight Wow, how lovely, no... yeah. She was, no? Yeah, yeah, I did quite a lot of Diana watching when I was at AP on the, the UK desk as well. See, I worked on the UK desk, the Europe desk, and also the Latin America desk. Which is quite interesting. How interesting, Helen. I could be here all day. I know, but we probably don't know, have all day. We, do we? We, no, we don't. We, we. I wanted to ask you one last question, really. Um, what, at mm. the moment, you're you've got your own company, yeah. which I wanted yeah. to hear a little bit about. Correct. Uh, so you're you're you te- you help people. You do courses and you help people yeah. um, with their presentation skills. Yeah. With their, well, tell, me. tell me a bit about your yeah. your business. So so when my my two boys, I took um, maternity leave and then I took a, a year unpaid afterwards at the BBC and then I was pregnant with our second son with Aidan and Nicholas our first boys Liam David and they're just two years apart um, and I was pregnant with my second one in that year when I took off without any pay and I thought I don't think I'm going to go back full time and the lady at Human Resources the BBC said I know we hate people like you <laughs> who tell us you're going to come back three days a week and then you're pregnant and you can't you don't want to come back so anyway so yeah. I knew then that you know, I don't have any family around me. My yes. in-laws live up in Durham. It's near Scotland. It's really far. We live in, in South West London, Epsom, sorry. Um, so I needed to be yes. with my children and I wanted to be very much with my children. You know, we've got great help at home, looking after the house and stuff. I'm very lucky. Um, David travels all the time with his work, with the rockets and the space. He's, now, he's still doing his... Now he's, he's, he's there, well, many years ago, uh, 2000 actually. Um, so he was um, offered a, a position to uh, become uh, the lead underwriter at the Lloyds of London at Lloyds of London he works for a company called Atrium which is a space a part of a space consortium at Lloyds one of the consortiums at Lloyds and he's the, the underwriter who mm. the sort of scientific brain behind into the financial community he works at Lloyds of London not to be confused with Lloyds Bank uh, yeah. he's the insurer yeah, the yeah, insurance yeah, yeah. market so um he travels a lot with, with all of that so obviously I wanted to be there for my children's um first three four years until they started prep schools and they started school you know when they were four and then I was able to start slowly just picking up you know, I did the odd bit of freelance work and stuff and the odd thing when my children were little and I just had somebody yeah. to look after them, you know, my, my husband or, or the lady at home to look after them. But mostly I was with the children. And then little by little, I started going back freelance saying, I'm available for freelance work, I'm available. And uh, I started up my own consult- small boutique consultancy business, a media consultancy business. So pulling together all the strings, all the experience that I have with mm. um, interview skills, public speaking, um, uh, media training, TV and radio, uh, anything to do with journalism. And I set up a little website. It's singemedia.co.uk. And um, people started booking me. Can you come and teach a whole bunch of corporate people mm. how to speak to a television or radio interviewer? I spent a day. I mean, with them. really, really Can important you... skills. Just... Exactly, it's communication. It's yeah. all communication. And it's, nowadays, it's all about communication. Exactly. Um, it's true that. Um, I mean, I was on social media long before this sort of influencer thing came along, so I would never, never sort of go down that route. Um, I'm just normally, it's all mostly um, my music, my interests, my hobbies, Mm. cooking, music, classical music. Sometimes I post something on my children. We haven't spoken about the Jura Conductor. 
Yes, yes. So that was when I was off, just looking after the children, those four years, I signed up to be um, a choral conductor, to train as a choral conductor. I know. I, you know, otherwise I remember when you qualified. Yes, yes. I remember those And then posts. we conducted for the Queen. I conducted a concert for the Queen so and you, Prince Philip. So you really, you know, multi-talented. Yeah, I conducted seven choirs at once. It was incredible. So I need to ask you this question. This podcast is called Why Bother? This is the name of my new series. Did you ever ask yourself that question? Absolutely not. Never. I always knew I was on a mission, whatever I was doing. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And I'm, I'm very, very exacting of myself. I have very high standards, obviously, in my work, because, you know, professionally, I'm extremely serious. I'm extremely, you know, if I ever see one slight spelling mistake on the BBC uh, strap, you know, below the news, I would constantly be ringing the newsroom. That name is spelt wrong, you know. Yeah, you know, so I'm I'm a bit like that. A stickler, a bit of a perfectionist. I'm a Virgo. They say it's a character trait. I don't believe in (laughs) any of that nonsense. But you know, I am like that. So if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Otherwise, don't bother. You know, absolutely. Exactly. One last question. I've asked all my guests the same. So if you were in on a desert island and you could choose one person to be with, who would you choose? Difficult, not because you want to say your husband, but I, I'm trying. What, well, what about I, my children? Who your children, your children, or maybe somebody my that family. inspires you, or somebody that you really respect that you'd find endless hours chatting to, super interesting, or maybe a combination of all of them. <laughs> oh, you've got me there. I don't know. I, you know, my first instinct, and it's probably a bit naff, but I, I just say my family. I can't imagine being on a desert island. I mean, David's quite practical because he knows he would be building me some kind of hut and some kind of outdoor shower because I'm a bit, yes, you know, I won't yes. go anywhere where I can't plug in my hairdryer, have a proper shower, you know, power shower or something. And, you know, my friends take the mick out of me always. But um, well, that's okay. So, so he'd be very practical and he'd build something and he's very good at all these things. And, 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 and I'd be cooking, coming up with interesting Dishes. My kids would be doing races on the beach, or or playing play chess rugby. or No, they play rugby. They play rugby. They play football. They play cricket. Liam's a very good athlete. He runs for for the Kingston Kestrels, the club of Kingston. He's a he trains with the Kingston Kestrels. He also runs for his school. He, he you know he plays chess. He's... Recently, you've been on TV a lot because a lot of people in Jib watch Tele Cinco. Um, and I remember, my question, I remember speaking to you on one of our chats and I said, Helen, why are you on Tele Cinco? What, what is all that about? They call me up. They yeah. play very well. Exactly. Exactly There's what you answer. answered me. When I, yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, just to go back a bit, the Spanish networks have always called me at the BBC. So they know me as the British journalist who speaks good Spanish. So they know me from a long, long time. Que pasa? The Queen dies or the Queen's very sick. And suddenly, oh, I know. Let's call Helen. And the phone was like smoke coming out of the holes of the phone. It was on fire. I had to switch the whole thing up because I couldn't, you know. And first of all was Televisión Española, who called me first. So I did an interview with them in in the sort of morning, late morning, when it was announced that the Queen was under medical supervision, which in itself is quite odd because you you never get palace bulletins talking about the health of the Queen. It's very rare. When she had COVID, they did it. And when she went in for some tests in December 21, they also mentioned it. It was very rare. So that in itself set the alarm bells ringing. I did the interview with them. Of course, in Spain, in all the other newsrooms, they do like we do at the BBC. You've got monitors watching the output from all your competitors, all your channels. So they all saw me on there and said, can you get that girl? What's her name? Social media. They found me. They all found me on social media. The first one to get me on the phone kept me there for three hours on the programme. And that was Telecinco. You get a huge buzz, not from doing it. It's very buzzy. Those big stories, they're really buzzy. Really, really buzzy. Yeah, those big ones, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I can only think, like 9-11, I was in Hong Kong at the time, so... I, I wasn't working as away on mm. holiday with David. Uh, we were in China and Hong Kong at the time. But I remember thinking, oh, God, what a story. I wish I could be there for that one. But, um, yeah, so things like that, the stories that you remember, where was I when this happened, you know? Um, and all the big politics stories, you know, they're always good. The royals, you know, I've done endless royal stuff, mm. you know. And there's a, um, a program on La Cuatro, which is also a media set channel, and it's called um, Todo es Mentira. And it's presented by a guy called Risto Mejide. I know. Who does, well, no, well, I everybody know knows Risto know, Mejide. Well, you're not. 
pues no lo conoce todo bueno, España. Total, que they booked me on the day after the Queen. I was there in the morning. I was on Ana Rosa. I was on blah, 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 blah. And suddenly I've got this link on this program at the Queen. We all had to wear black y todo eso. Yo y con el negro. Eh, and, and the first question was, uh, uh, I had no idea what the... Pro I just thought it was another news program, you know. Uh, a ver, eh, the first question was, eh, el rey emerito is, is going to the Queen's funeral. Uh, former King Juan Carlos is going to the Queen's funeral. That's all we're interested about. Is the British press going to talk lots about King Juan Carlos? And I just said, oh, I don't think so. There's lots of other stuff to talk about. Nobody cares whether Juan Carlos goes. They were like, oh! And then they all started laughing. But I went, oh, why not? You know, because they thought it was hilarious that nobody cared in Britain, in the British media, about King Juan Carlos going well, to Well, they Queen. don't. They don't care. We've no. got lots going on exactly. here. Exactly. The Queen's died. Who's going to care if King Juan anyway, Carlos goes to He hasn't got a great reputation, back. has exactly, he, anyway? Exactly, you know. And they were all like, ooh, is he going to bring Karina Larson? Excuse me? He's not going to bring Karina Larson. He's a guest at the funeral of the Majesty of the Queen. You know, if anything, he'll bring Queen Sophia, even if they're not together. You know, the, the King Felipe and Queen Leticia are on the list. You know, and there was all these jokes about, oh, you know, London's really busy. You can't get a reservado in a disco. And I didn't realize that was a humorous program. Estaban todos de risa making jokes. And I was like, but how could they be so disrespectful? Our queens died. How could they be joking and laughing about this, you know? Mm. <laughs> I was mortified and then afterwards the producer que me veía la cara my, my face was like no, no, no you know and me being all serious and I'm a serious journalist which I am and they were all having a giggle and a joke about this and that y Boris Johnson ha soltado el culata ya okay you know and I was like excuse me we're talking about Westminster Hall y la capilla ardiente de la reina pero, pero que me habla a mí de Boris Johnson and el cubata you know and I didn't get it at all you know and afterwards the producer you know who booked me called me and said I realize you didn't you didn't know that this program is one where it's very jokey very light-hearted they joke it's like a satirical See, program where they joke that's part of the y pasé una vergüenza ya the mm. second time I lightened up when they booked me on to talk about I don't know Boris Johnson Liz Truss Yoko said Rishi Sunak and they, they've called me a few times since y ya I knew that but that's an example of all mm. these new programs I just assumed they were all news programs and I got no, the shock no. of my life when I went <coughs> when on Salvame because I never watched it didn't know about it um, and I got the shock of my bueno, life when mira. I went on this Rizomejida program. It was so funny afterwards. It's all experience. But so many people watched this program yeah, yeah, yeah. in Gibraltar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of people. Because Anybody who knew me at home yes, in Gibraltar. Yes. Todo el mundo. People that I went to school with that I hadn't seen in 30 years. Me mandaron messages. Incredible. We saw you on Sarah. Me digo, really? So many people watch this? Are you kidding me? You know? But well, we'll anyway. all look out for you for your next adventure. See, see, I'm sharing clips and on that on my socials now, but I've, I've, seen, I've, I've never seen. shared stuff. Well, you know, but I guess it's good because it keeps you there. It keeps well, you yeah, there. Nowadays, and that is, do that. You know, that is what people do. So I guess see, it's, 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 very, yeah, yeah, it's, it's different now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I never used to finish yeah. work and say, can I have a tape of all my interviews today? No. And all the shots and lives and, you just, and reports yeah. and go home because you just have to job in the gallery. You just have to record it. You take it home for my show reel or whatever. I have those, pero muy puntualmente, not, not so well, every day. I think a lot of people are going to love listening to you. Thank you so much <laughs> again for coming. It's been a pleasure. We could go. We've been chatting it's for an hour. It's a chat among so friends. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop Heavily now. Heavily edit. Sorry, editor. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to series three of my podcast, which is called Why Bother? It's a question I've often asked myself, and I'm sure you have too. And I wanted to speak to people about their journeys to success, why they've bothered. Thanks must go to my producer, Charlie Hurst, for putting this podcast together. Catch him at soundunit.co.uk. And a big thank you too to artist Beatrice Garcia for designing the podcast icon. Her website is beatricegarcia.com. Thank you for listening and please like and rate the show. And should you want to get in touch, my email is rougechip at gmail.com.